now? There we go. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to be... Um, having maybe feel like going down a rabbit trail on this one Uh, no false witness but we're going to have a a kind of extended discussion on the issue of truth so let me go ahead and pray for us dear father we thank you that you are the God of truth That truth matters. We thank you that you, in commanding us to not bear false witness, declare yourself to be the God of truth. And Lord, I pray that you might make us truthful people. That we would would keep our word. We would declare what is true. We would... Um, seek to be faithful to you. And we just thank you for this class and for the Ten Commandments and how they reveal who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the the Ninth Commandment. And so it's about truth-telling. Tell the truth. And particularly truth about your neighbor. So remember we always talk about the narrow and then the broad application. So the narrow is just you tell truth about your neighbor. Okay? We think about, and if you want to get even more narrow, it's in court. I mean, that's the specific. And and just as the other commandments, the, the negative command really gives the worst situation in which you could not tell truth. And in this situation, if you are in court and you are under oath to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and then you tell what is false about your neighbor, that is like the, that's like murder. <laughs> that's the worst place you could do it, <laughs> okay? Uh, and the most extreme case that you could do it as well. Um, also, the, the fact of truth-telling about your neighbor helps us to see that this command is really about loving your neighbor, right? It's not just about truth in isolation, but it's about loving your neighbor. And that'll help us as we uh, will try to eventually get into applying it um, applying it in your the triangle, right? So you could tell someone a, a blatant cold fact, but it wouldn't be full of love. You wouldn't be fulfilling the command. You see how this is, it's all about, it's, it's, there's a check in that my heart should be one of trying to truly love my neighbor um, and not just, oh, I'm upholding the truth, therefore I'm going to tell the truth, I will not care about the feelings of anybody that I talk to. I'm just going to tell the truth, right? I mean, that's, that's not what God's getting at. So uh, love is very much 
a part of this. So like if you were to look at the norm, tell the truth. Don't bear false witness. Uh, the situation is trying to figure out, is this person my neighbor? Who are they? What's the situation? And then the heart is that you are to love your neighbor. All those are connected. Uh, so, but in order to try to get at this at, at the beginning, we want to. I want to have a discussion about truth. <clears throat> truth begins in the character of God. God is the God of truth. You might even say truth belongs to God. He owns it. He's the one who establishes truth because he establishes reality. Things are because God says they are. And therefore, something is or is not depending upon what God says about it. Not to belabor the issue of transgenderism and those kind of things, but if God declares who you are, that's reality. You need to bring your reality into line with God's reality. That's, that's He declares it. He is the truth. Something is true because it, it conforms to God's reality. <clears throat> so let's look at a couple places that actually state this. Psalm 25.5. Psalm 25.5. All right, here comes the mic. Let's give that to Mr. Pate or Mrs. Pate, either one. Twenty-five-five. <laughs> we just do it for show anyway. Now here it comes. Hello. There you go. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Okay, so um, what, do they, what do they add before truth there? When, yeah, yeah, but even right before. Your truth, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a possession. God, he possesses, he's not just saying it's just your little angle on the truth. Guide me in your truth because it's you. You, you are the truth and you own truth. Psalm 86, 11. Psalm 86, 11. Uh, Annalise, you want to read that? <laughs> I love to pick the person that didn't open the Bible. No. Uh, 8611? Yeah. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Does it just say that you may walk in that I may walk in truth? In your truth. Okay. I just want to make clear. That's my point. I don't want you to skip over the very word that's my point, right? <laughs> that I may walk in your truth. Do you understand that? It's like we are being brought to him. He is the determiner of truth. He owns truth. It's his character. It's not something that's outside of God, separate from God. God is truth. And as Christians, we are trying to conform ourselves into his truth. Okay? 
postmodernism postmodernism teaches that that all truth is limited and relative to what your situation your perspective on the situation so so you you have things like well that may that may be truth to you but this is truth to me right so there's this postmodern understanding of truth and there's really no way to get outside of your own limited relative perspective right that's that's the uh, and this hasn't bothered me for many years because I read a guy named John Frame on this, and he just obliterated postmodernism. But, but it, is, it is a relatively difficult question when you think about it. Because you might say, oh, I believe that Jesus is the only way. But if somebody else comes to you and says, well, that's not the way I read the Bible. What can you say? <laughs> Spoken like a true modernist. But you, but you look at that text, and you see John 14, 6, and you see it as Jesus is the only way. But I see it differently. I don't even know how to bring up a good you know, argument right now. But what, what takes us out of the realm of it's your opinion and my opinion? Objective truth. Objective truth. But how do you know objective truth? Yeah, but you always know it through the grid work of your own mind. Do you not? You can never get outside of your own mind and how you know truth. So how can you say if two limited people are looking at something and seeing it differently, how do you know that there's true truth, as, as uh, um, uh, Schaefer would say? Um, well, yeah, too loud. Turn me down. Thank you. Correct, but uh, the scripture doesn't present God or your knowing truth in a relative way. The scripture declares to us there is truth, John 14, 6. I am the truth, Jesus says. Um, But the scripture assumes that you can know truth, right? Um, John 17, 3, I think. You shall, um, this, is eternal, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, right? Um, and the Spirit is promised by Jesus to guide people into all truth. So Jim I would argue the reason why you look at Scripture and see that Jesus is the only way is because the Holy Spirit has guided you into that truth, right? You understand that it's not just you were able to see it all on your own. God had to enlighten your mind. He had to open your eyes to see that truth, right? Because you could look at it and not see it, and that's what a lot of the world does, okay? Okay. 
Oh, great question. What about the two godly? Why does not everyone agree with my view on baptism? Because it's the right view? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so first off, that's a terrible eraser. That one's not much better. Okay, so, so first off, you have to get, before I can answer this question, you have to get to the place where we accept truth is knowable. And this is the statement. So you have an omniscient, all-powerful God he has created you you are limited you are confined to your perspective no way you can get around that if you if it was up to you to find truth on your own you could never know truth absolutely but that's not what we're claiming. What we're saying is the omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient and omnipotent God, does he have the ability to communicate truth to his creature? Absolutely. To say no to that question, all hope is lost. That's where the postmodernism is. We're, we're banking that when God wants to communicate truth, he can do it. That's what blasts postmodernism out of the out of the water. So, in the discussion that we have with, let's start with a non-Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. You would set, you would argue to them, try to declare to them what God has revealed to you as truth. Jesus is the only way. Now, whether they see it or not is dependent upon the all omniscient, all powerful God communicating that to them. Right? That's where your your reliance is upon that. Well, the same thing is true with Christians. It's just that God doesn't uh, always, in, uh, just because you're a Christian, take care of every bit of lie in your heart and in your mind at once, does he? So, so we're, it's relative. So even as Christians, we're still striving through our study of the Scripture to know the truth that is there correctly, depending on the Holy Spirit to change us, to make us humble enough to receive that word, and we're all striving to know that, right? And when we disagree, either we're both wrong, or one of us is wrong and one of us is right. And that's just the way it is. But the only way you come to that, to a better understanding of the truth, is the omniscient, all-powerful God continuing to enlighten your mind and, and open you up to more and more of the truth. It's not reliant just on your ability to know truth. It should make us very humble when we think that we have truth. Because we only believe it because God has opened our eyes to that. Assuming we do have the truth. And it should also make us humble that due to our sinful nature, as Dr. Kara would always say, due to sin, you can still get it wrong as a Christian. (laughs) 
And so you should have a, a certain air of humility in wanting to continue to go to the text and say, God, continue to reveal yourself to me. So when it comes to uh, a debate with someone that I have as a, that just disagrees with something, say it's on the sovereignty of God or election or something like that, I, and they say, well, that, that's what you think. And I say, well, it is what I think. But I also believe that it's in line with the truth. And I also believe that if I'm wrong about that, I expect to be corrected on the day of judgment. I expect God to actually show me what truth is and dispel my lies. Because truth is always helpful, and it's always worthwhile knowing. So, so there shouldn't be this stubbornness. You should hold to your convictions, but you can do, the, do that with humility. And, and just saying, look, someday God will judge for us and tell us what's right and wrong on this. But that doesn't mean we should just stop not have any convictions because someone else disagrees. Virtually every truth ever believed by any Christian has been doubted or denied by another Christian. <laughs> just the way it is. So anyway, the point is, is that God doesn't want you to just say, oh, I have a relative understanding of truth. No, you're supposed to pursue it, to know it, and to believe that God is communicating that truth to you. You should just be humble as you do it, <laughs> recognizing that you're still sinful. So... Okay, now, um, you know the passages in the New Testament where Jesus says, I will send the Spirit and he will guide you into all truth? Um, the primary understanding, the, the first application of that text is that God would actually enable the, the uh, disciples to write new scripture that we can trust the New Testament. Now, it has a secondary application to you as Christians as you read that New Testament that he will also, by the Spirit, guide you into all truth. The Scripture is the focus of truth. But it first starts out that he, we believe the New Testament is biblical because we believe the Spirit enabled those disciples to actually write it. And it's there, and it's objective truth for us. That's just very important to believe, or to understand. Now, uh, false, all false religion, okay? And I would, even, I would even add to that all errors within true Christianity, okay? All false religion, all errors within Christianity is a bearing false witness against God. Because God has declared who he is. To believe something differently or wrongly about God is to bear false witness about him. This is why in 1 John, when, um, when John says, if we claim to be without sin, who do we make out to be a liar? God. Right? So believing something wrongly, theologically, is bearing false witness about God. Now, you could do that not just with your words. You can do that with your actions as well. So if you as a, as a I'm going to use father, you as a father wrongly reflect God to your kids, you're bearing false witness about God. Do you see how that works? 
Because we, in our actions, in our words, should reflect who God really is. So in John 15, 26, let's turn there. Just want to bring this idea of bearing witness. Don't give false testimony. Bearing witness. So look at John 15, 26. Uh, Let's see. Mary Dunn will read that for us. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. All right, you see that? So they're, they're testifying to the truth of the gospel, to the truth that we have in the New Testament, is bearing witness about who Christ is truthfully. So... <clears throat> We also know from Romans 1, we won't turn there, but what is the great and first sin in Romans 1? Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness about God. That's that's the number one thing. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. So you've got these two forces. You've got your own sin, which is driving you to distort the truth, and you've got the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, which is driving you to know the truth. Right? And they're working in your soul every day. It's easy, and, and this is where I love postmodernism. I don't like it as a whole philosophy, <laughs> But I like it because when Jim tells me, well, you just see the truth and you know it. No, that's not true. Every moment of every day, there's an old nature in you that is trying to suppress the truth about God. Some aspect of it. Distort it in some way. And it is only the powerful Holy Spirit working through the scripture that is working to guide you into truth and to actually get you to embrace truth fully in your life. See, modernism just accepted, oh, truth is truth, I know truth, I can understand it. You know, postmodernism says, no, you just know it the way you know it. And you know it according to your own fallen nature. Well, how do I get out of that? Well, it's only the powerful Holy Spirit doing that can get you out of that cycle. So every day, this is why Christianity doesn't get boring to me, Every day, I can see little ways that I try to suppress the truth. Because I hate the truth sometimes. And then I'm every day crying out to God, help me to see you more fully for who you are.
just remember that God gave us the entirety, 66 books of the New Testament, to guide us into the truth about who he is. Just remember that when we get to the book of Romans, I mean uh, Numbers in Sunday school, and nobody wants to listen to that. It's a part of his truth too, right? It's a part of him revealing who he is to us as his fallen people. God obviously being able to bear, uh, mm-hmm. to communicate his truth to his people. Mm-hmm. With, in 1 John uh, 2.27, it says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Is that sort of mm-hmm. like a reassurance of that? I know you, this was addressing false teachers that had come in and were trying to say they had, you know, I guess I think, but um, higher knowledge that lesser Christians didn't have or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. But. Right. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, great question. Um, so there were the elites who were telling people, you cannot know truth on your own. So you personally cannot be the recipient of truth from the word of God. You need these elites, these Gnostic elites, to be able to tell you what the truth is. So you're kind of a lesser standard Christian, and you need to know that. And so John is is, uh, arguing against that. He says that, no, you can know truth. He's not saying don't ever listen to a teacher because he's teaching them right now, right? I mean, he's not saying that. He's it's like he would have said, we should never have problems with this because everybody knows the truth perfectly. Well, that's just not the way it is. Obviously, he's teaching them, but he's telling them you, you're not a lower-level Christian. There's not a second-tier Christian, and there's the elites that know God, and you don't. Um, I live life as a teacher, right? That's who I am. But I'm on the assumption that you can know truth too as you search the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, and you don't need someone else to teach you as if you are ignorant and unable to learn truth on your own. So... Well, the Catholic Church did that. I don't know there's other denominations that have done that too, but the Catholic Church did that because they didn't even care if you understood the language of the Bible. Just let us interpret it for you. We'll read the scripture in Latin, and then we'll tell you what it means kind of thing because you're not really able to understand it yourself. But they're not the only ones that have done that. Lots of people have. Are you thinking of a particular... Go ahead. Okay, okay, (laughs) okay. Um, um, thank you for that restraint. <laughs> um, absolutely, absolutely. But see, as the that's why I'm trying to explain that it's not against all teaching because John is actually teaching them in the book of 1 John, right? He is being a teacher to them at that moment. 
But he's also not telling them that this is a truth that you will never truly get. I get it, and you will not get it. The truth is something, when it's rightly explained, when you shine the light on the Bible, people should go, aha, because the Spirit lives in you as just like he lives in me. There's not some special status that a teacher has that enables them to get the Scripture and you not. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, those of you who have been in my Ephesians Sunday night will know this already, so I apologize that it's a repetition, but that you've segued right into the next section. Okay, so turn to the book of Ephesians for a moment, trying to create balance uh, between these texts of Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 3. 14 to 21, let's start there. This is prefatory to where we want to go in Ephesians 4. But Ephesians chapter 3, this is Paul's prayer. And um, Ken, would you read that for me? Carico? Uh, You're going to read 14 to 21. Okay. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is breathe. The breadth. Breadth, okay. Breadth. What is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So in that passage, Paul is, is basically praying the prayer, I want you to know God's love, right? You understand that? That's, I want you to know the breadth of it. I want you to know the length of it, the height, the depth. I want you to know this because in knowing the truth of the love of God, you will be filled with the fullness of God. That's his, that's his statement. That's, I, it's, it's like he's saying, I'm praying this because when this happens, when every one of us is filled to capacity with the truth about God's love, wow, everything will be great. Okay? Now, so that's, this is Paul's prayer. He prays this grandiose prayer, and he actually says, God can do more than we can even imagine. Because you just try to imagine for a moment, every Christian, back to Lori's statement, Every Christian believing precisely the same about God and therefore all of us being brought into perfect unity of the faith and all of us believing and trusting and knowing God for who he actually is. You think, that's, that's not going to happen. Christians disagree all over the place. Uh, you know, so how's this going to happen? Well, Paul then gives you the means by which it's going to happen. Okay? So Ephesians 4 
beginning in verse 10. Ten through sixteen. Uh, Lee, would you like to read that for me? Ephesians four, ten through sixteen. Like I said, this is a nice rabbit trail to you shall not bear false witness. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and te- teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Keep going. You're good. That's good. Uh, uh, you could read 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, great. Okay, so he uses a phrase there, and he says we all attain the unity of the faith. Unity means that we, we're like a, we come to one, right? We believe the same thing. The faith is really the doctrine about God and about the gospel and about truth. That's, we all attain the unity of the faith. And he, he uses some other phrases that go along with that. He says, uh, the knowledge of the Son of God. So the unity of the faith is the agreement of that we all accept the truth about the Son of God and who he is. And then also the, uh, the fullness of Christ and to mature manhood. All of these things are describing this unity of the faith. Okay, And he then says, um, the result, we won't be tossed back and forth. We won't, all these false doctrines won't, won't deceive us anymore. We'll, be, we'll speak the truth in love and we'll grow up into Christ who is the head and we'll experience the fullness of God uh, building itself up in love. Okay, so there you go. But here's the question. What is the means that God has ordained for the unity of the faith to happen? Yeah, prophets... Evangelists, uh, apostles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, just, you know, the apostles, they were the foundation, right? They wrote the scripture. They're no longer part of the, the uh, uh, equation. Prophets alongside of them, they're both foundational uh, I know some people would disagree with that, but just follow me here. But evangelists, they're the ones taking the gospel to new lands. And then shepherds and teachers, they're the ones building up the church. Okay? So, but all of these came from where? 
This is the quest, this is the thing. And this will totally uh, annihilate the idea that you no longer need teachers and shepherds. Yeah, who gave them? Who especially? Jesus gave them. Now, when did he give them to them? He gave gifts to men. This is an Old Testament passage, kind of revamped in Pauline thought. If you were a conquering king, you would go out and you would destroy the other people. And when you destroyed them, you would, you would uh, go back to your city, to your people, and you would have the, the, the spoils of war in line. Some of it would be in wagons like gold and silver and different things. Some of it would be people in the form of slaves, right? And, God, and, and the king would bring them back and he would show he's conquered them and then they would disperse them to the people for their benefit, okay? The spoils of war. Some would go to the soldiers, some would go to the subjects of his kingdom because he has conquered and he shows them. Jesus, when did he conquer his enemies? At the cross, who were his enemies? Us, right? The, the, everyone, right? I mean, the, anyone who was opposed to him. So he then, he then conquers the people in the enemy camp, and then he takes them and he gives some of them to who? To the church, to his people. So these these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are not just, hey, Mike wanted to be a teacher. He likes to talk, whatever. He's, you know. No, it is Jesus bought him. He conquered him. And therefore, he wanted to build up the whole church. And so therefore, he plucks out of the enemy camp certain people to come in to be able to teach to his people so that they can be built up in the fullness of Christ. It is absolutely stunning. You talk about anything that's unimaginable that he would take from the enemy camp and use it to build up his people is amazing but that's teachers so to say that that somehow the john passage is denying the need for teachers anymore is just ridiculous because it's the denial of the very fact that jesus bought teachers and preachers and shepherds for his people and that is that is shocking because what do people say today? Oh, they always want to point out the faults of the preachers and, and the teachers, and they don't do this right, and they're just they divided the church and all these kind of things. And I agree with that. But then I come back to this and I go, This is this bath. How many people today say they get frustrated with the church? I'm gonna go find truth on my own. They are denying the very path that he has designed to build us up in the faith. You must be listening to teachers. You must, because they're God's gift to you, to help you grow in the faith. Amen. But sound doctrine is so important, and there's so many teachers in churches across our land who don't cling to the truth. Right. And, and then, then we go, then people say, oh, let's just forget doctrine, and let's just be unified. No, it is doctrine in this passage that is the, the very thing that unifies the church. So how do you oppose false doctrine? By true doctrine. And pray they listen. <laughs> well, that's, and that's why I read Paul's prayer at first, right? Because he's praying that their eyes would be open. And I don't think Paul is saying, oh, I got it all and I don't have to learn anymore. I think it's a prayer for himself as well. 
right? We need to have a humble heart of wanting to continually go to the scriptures and learn from the Lord. Like, like and it, some falls on deaf ears and some, that kind of, the yeah. Yeah, but I think when it comes to, when it comes to you, if you are truly God's child, then your end goal, not just your goal, your end destiny, is that you will be completely conformed to Christ. So whenever you have a disagreement with another Christian, do it in love. Speak the truth in love. Because ultimately, God is going to bring both of you to unity at some point. See, we take the short run, and we just say, well, we've been arguing for this for 400 years. There's no way there's ever going to be unity. And he says, oh, no, there will be. Because that's what Jesus died to do, is give us unity. Now, how much of it will be in this life and how much it will be in the eternity? But we're to be striving for the truth because truth reflects God. Well, an excellent example is the Trinity. We're not debating the Trinity anymore. They debated it for 400 years. And the church came to an agreement on the Trinity. Now, we don't know everything about the Trinity, but we certainly have nice uh, guide walls that we are not to overstump the banks of the river. There it is, the Trinity. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. What she was saying about seminary trained teachers, and I've heard a lot about how you know the Bible is so simple that anybody should be able to understand it, you know, those, that kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just thinking, um, thinking it through, and, you know, the God who is able to communicate truth to his people mm-hmm. would know, like, 2,000 years later, like, as far as teachers go, that would put a desire or give them a gift and put a desire in them to maybe learn Greek and Hebrew and, and mm-hmm. those ancient languages or the, those languages to be able to understand the context and the culture and be able to bring forward an application for us that we could understand today that he would he would do that because he knew that we would be challenged and, and false teaching has been like happening even like all the way back in the first century church and all the epistles talk about it I think all but one that that he to guard against um, a misunderstanding or you know he would he would put that desire not not all seminary 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 trained teachers and pastors are you know t- speaking the truth and they some fall mm-hmm. away but but he would be able to bring that forward like the god of the universe who created everything would be able to protect his word in that way to give that desire to people to to bring forward that understanding does that make sense mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah so let me do this there is there is objective truth uh, we'll call it general revelation and we'll call it um, special revelation of the Bible. So, in general revelation, science will be one of those. And we understand that science does get it wrong often. Okay? Um, But, but, let's say uh, Marcus or Eve decides that we're going to go about studying science correctly. And because they think that science has gotten it wrong for years and years and years, they're going to start from scratch. They are not going to depend on any other knowledge that has been learned before them. They're just going to start now from beginning, and they're just going to do it by their own personal observation of the world. How's that going to work for them? 
how far back are they going to have to go? They're going to plunge themselves into the dark ages again, right? So science does get it wrong sometimes, but it gets it right a lot too. And we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us to observe the world. And you're stupid if you don't learn from them, right? Now, can you, can you possibly look back and say, ooh, they got this portion wrong? Yeah, that can happen, okay, as time goes on. And we should always be trying to renew and correct and better understanding. But why would you start from scratch? If we decided to do this on special revelation, if we just said, okay, the Bible and me, I am not going to read any other book, I am not going to study anything that anybody has ever taught throughout all history because they've gotten it wrong sometimes. Do you know what you're going to do? You're going to go right back to trying to reinvent the wheel. And that's what's happening in our society. Because we have not studied church history, we don't know the the mistakes of, of the church in the past, we see in our present generation churches reinventing the mistakes that they don't have to be making because they could have learned from their past. Does that mean we get it all wrong? No. Does that mean we get it all right? No. You have to continue to go to the absolute standard, which is here, special revelation. And this is an absolute standard, too, because God's world is God's world. Right? So there's a, there's a sense that we do not want to start all over again. And I think if you... And, there's so many ways I can go with this, but if you, um, if you think, oh, I'm going to be the one who's going to discover truth, what makes you better than anybody else that's gone throughout all history? <laughs> and wouldn't you want to try to find those who have been the best of the best throughout all history to learn from? <laughs> what? He's starting all over? Well, yeah, he did. He, he did. Am I wise among all men because there were so many lies in his day? But even the reformers, and him included and Calvin, always went back to those who studied before them. They learned from Augustine. They learned from the early church fathers. They learned from the creeds, those things. Very much so. They did not just start independently. That's right. Mike, I think I've got the mics. I get to carry yeah, You can around. go right ahead, yeah. Um, Thing both both in science, general revelation, and special revelation that I think we see particularly in our day and age is the lack of humility. I mean, that how many times in scripture does it preach be humble, have humility? It's something to be valued above all. And the fact of the matter is that we believe that we have some ability beyond what those human beings who've been on this earth didn't have. Mm-hmm. Mostly technology, we think, because we've got a cool thing in our pocket that we can <laughs> do all things. But the reality is, is that Humility is what fuels the ability to learn from others, both past and present. And that's the one thing we, we lack considerably, both in the church and, and in society. Mm-hmm. Even your convictions uh, when I first started coming to a covenantal view of baptism, I held it relatively loosely. After 25 years of study on this, I am much more strongly convinced of my position. But I should still hold it with humility. I really need you to jump into the deep end with that at some point in time because I have loved ones. Think differently on it. Yeah, yeah. 
I was talking to, um, on baptism, uh, I was thinking, uh, and probably would be good to teach a class on that at some point, just, um, um, I was talking to the, the Garrisons recently, and uh, they came to our VBS, and kids have, I've gotten to know their kids, have been in church history classes, awesome believers, and uh, so Connor, the oldest boy, will always say things like, yeah, yeah, we still differ on baptism and stuff like that, and so, um, so I was just talking probably for the first time to his parents, I've talked to the kids more, and I said, you know what frustrates me about the sacraments? It is that, that the sacraments were designed by God. I'm, I believe this wholeheartedly. They were designed to unite all Christians, and they were designed to be a, an, a help to your daily faith. What we have done is we have turned it or flipped it around. So we have turned the sacraments into something that divides all Christians, and then after it divides us is relatively meaningless to our lives. That's what we've done. Shameful. So should we keep studying the sacraments? Yes, we should. Does it mean we'll, any of us will get it all right? No, we won't get it all right. But we should continue to study it because it matters to God. He gave us the sacraments for a reason. Um, and we're not using it for that. Okay. People, I mean, God can give the truth to his believers, mm-hmm. and you have truly godly believers, mm-hmm. and they think imperfect. Due to sin, due to sin, you do not always know truth, absolutely. And so you have what we would call concentric circles. Do I know that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Yeah, that's like... That is absolutely bedrock. Do I believe the Trinity? Bedrock, yes. Do I uh, hold, um, I don't know, um, divine sovereignty and human responsibility? That's, that's a big divider for Christians, right? How those two fit together. Um, do I know those perfectly and absolutely do I have it figured out in my mind that I'm always correct on that no that's a little bit farther out here on the circle than maybe believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved and you have to be able to to say to someone that's thinking a little bit differently than you okay um, God may have enlightened you in another area more clearly on this but on this area I think I'm right so I'm not going to we're going to debate the issues but you have to have a sense of humility that you can actually learn from someone who thinks differently than you. In fact, God has repeatedly throughout all history moved his church forward in the truth as the church has had to interact with heresy. That's exactly, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a part of it. Yeah, and, but we should do it in love. <laughs> she said sanctification is a non-linear process. Go, go, go. Mm-hmm. That's right. So some things that you get and see really quick, other things you don't. It, you know, we're all in this process and we're not all going equally at the same time. Um, if you study church history, you can see that clearly. There are certain elements of church history that, um, you know, just 
weren't revealed. <laughs> so, every bit that we disagree upon as two true believers is, is a reaction. It's, it's due to our sinfulness. It's due to our fallenness. It's, it's not due to the fact that there isn't a truth there to be known. It's due to the fact that we are fallen. And I think the, one of the reasons why God doesn't show us all the truth all at once, we'd all agree. How hard is it to love someone you agree with? How hard is it to love someone you disagree with? And part of what he's trying to do is teach you to love people in the church who are even different from you. Sit in an elders meeting or a deacons meeting and see how they, you know, they think differently and they're trying to learn how to love each other. Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see how critical our prayers for hungering and thirsting after God's word really are because you can have two sincere believers and one of them is in the word every day and one of them is, comes to church. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't have as much to work with <laughs> if they're just coming to church. I mean, if, anyway... Mm-hmm. It is absolutely important. And yet at the same time, as a person who probably studies the word of God as much as anyone in here in this room, I can tell you in youth group repeatedly over 25 years, as I teach kids who clearly have not read the scripture as much as I have, I have learned from them. That's the humility of this. Right? It's the beauty of it. How God loves to work with the least of these. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever the least of these is, and I, that's just a common theme that runs through the, you know, the, dealing with a harlot and a scarlet cord. It's just precious and beautiful how he works. So let's turn to First Timothy three fifteen, and we'll end with this today. And I promise you, next week we'll get into actual uh, the uh, the actual command not to bear wit- not to bear false witness. But I think all this is important because if we don't get out of the quagmire of, of, oh, you said, I said, you just believe that, that's your truth. No, when I teach, I believe I'm teaching the truth, even though sometimes I could get it wrong, right? So, so 1 Timothy 3.15, this is where, uh, this is Paul's statement as to who the church is. So John Avery, read that for us. Here comes the microphone. I wanted Kyle to run, so. Jessica appreciates the exercise you give me. (laughs) If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Wow. Now, we just accept that on faith, that the church is the pillar and buttress of truth. But that's the truth. God has decided to bring his church into his truth. He didn't promise to bring unbelievers into his truth. He promised to bring us who are united to him into his truth and to do it through prophets, preachers, teachers, evangelists, apostles. 
So, and I, I did a devotional at, at a committee meeting at Presbytery on this very issue, and I just said, even though it seems like there are days where I feel like I wonder if 25 years of ministry have actually improved anything. Is the church worse off at the end of my, you know, these 25 years or better off? Some days I wonder. Not that you guys are great, I understand that. But, but does, does this next generation know and hunger for truth like people did 40 years ago, 25 years ago? Yeah, where are we? Are we moving forward or are we moving backward? And some days you despair, and you come back, this is what the Bible says. It is his truth, and I am called to believe it, to trust it, and to live my life according to it. I will strive the rest of my life by the grace of God to be the best teacher that I can be because I believe these things we're talking about today. And God will do his work through it. Marcus, why don't you close us in prayer?